Welcome to Mean Age Daydream with me, Brian McWilliams, where we're going to be making some jokes, laughing out at broken world, but also laying out some philosophy for the future, how we can fix this mess we're in and have a great time doing it all with the Mean Age Hello, hello, my beautiful love bunnies. Hope everybody's having a great day and uh, enjoyed. Maybe some of you had President's Day off, President's Day weekend off. I did. I uh, have to because my children's daycare is closed. So there's really not an option there. And uh, I will say they made my life hell this morning. Just hell. Kids are great. Kids, they can brighten your day or they can make it just the worst. And my kids this morning made it the worst. It was like refusing to get dressed, dropping crap on the floor. I'm hurting my hands, chasing the dog away from food. Kid vomits in the backseat in the car on the way to daycare. Just awesome. Just awesome. But at least my children don't give me as many problems as one Julian Assange is dealing with today as he faces what might be the last hearing on uh, his extradition. The United States is still trying to extradite Julian Assange from the UK. Of course, he was in Ecuador for some time. Now he's in uh, the UK in what I would still describe as, you know, a political prisoner situation. I don't know if there's any other way to look at it. Julian Assange should be a free man. We have press freedom. He did nothing wrong. None of the allegations against him were true. And yet he has been rotting in captivity for, God, what it's, what's it been? Seven, eight years? I mean, it, unbelievable. It's almost Guantanamo Bay-esque for a journalist who shared what the government does not want to be shared. Right. That's all it comes down to. And while Donald Trump certainly did us a massive disservice under this, you know, not pardoning Julian Assange, not dropping the charges. Biden has done nothing different. Of course, Obama was complicit in going after more journalistic whistleblowers than I think any other president uh, in history. And yet. Biden getting no pressure, no pressure from the media, no pressure from the Democrats, no pressure from anybody other than Thomas Massey. And let me see, a couple others had actually stood up and demanded some sort of press freedom here. Uh, Representative Paul Gozer out of Arizona. And also I'll read off these names because these are people, these are men that actually deserve credit, right? There is a bill in the house to drop all the charges against Julian Assange right now. Of course, what's it happening? Nothing. Nothing's happening with it because the animals that are working within our government really have no interest in reigning in the government's power. They have no interest in really protecting anybody's freedom to reveal any of the secrets that they don't want to be known. I mean, is, is there anything more observationally accurate than to look at government and realize that the government never seeks to reign in its own power, will never seek to reign in its own power, and will get away with literally whatever it possibly can until it's been exposed. And even then, you have situations like COVID, probably climate change, we're being perfectly honest, wherein there is no apology given. There is no uh, reigning in of any of the authoritarianism, right? During COVID, the government expanded its power greatly. And yet, what are we entering into? What looks like it's going to be put in commonplace within the European Union, within the United States, within the broader Western world, and, and even beyond that? Oh, that's right, the WHO's pandemic treaty. So, observably, the government was completely wrong completely massacred rights, freedoms, locking people in their houses, closing businesses down, mandating vaccines, and completely attacking truth and the uh, ability to spread information online that was accurate, instead cracking down on all of those things. And what does it do when it's done with that? 
enters into a new pandemic treaty at the World Health Organization that essentially would codify their ability to take those actions. I mean, you can't make it up, folks. And yet there's idiots out there that still want to expand the power of government and trust government implicitly. It's pretty amazing. But we've got Assange here. Now, let me read off the names of these people. So this is uh, James, Representative James McGovern, uh, Thomas Massey, of course, Mayor Marjorie Taylor Greene, good for her, Paulina uh, Luna, Anna Paulina Luna, Eric Burleson, Jeff Duncan, uh, it, wow, Ilan Omar, give her credit where credit's due, guys. I don't like her personally, but give her credit for that. And Clay Higgins, they have uh, combined to put this this forward, this bill to drop all charges against Assange. I mean, everything we need to know, not only about our government, but also about the cowardice of journalists, the journalist class is on display with what's happened with Julian Assange, with WikiLeaks. Now, there was a call internationally by journalists to free Assange, to drop all charges. That, of course, was met with a giant yawn by your average mainstream media reporter in the United States, by all politicians, met with a giant yawn. But I really have to say, the political class I expected to react this way, to act this way, when it comes to somebody exposing their secrets. Journalists seem to have no concept, either they have no understanding of what it actually means, the chilling effect it should have on journalism, on being able to truth tell, or they just don't care because they know that they're complicit in the machine. Now, we all know from numerous exposed CIA operations how much the government has uh, insofar as influence within media. How government plants are essentially running the show in many organizations, how government and big pharma money and military industrial contract money dictate what does and does not get coverage, how the democratic machine passes down talking points, which are repeated verbatim throughout our broader mainstream corporate media. Uh, I mean, the walls are closing in is a great example. The latest installation of uh, democratic talk that was passed around was that the Department of Justice and its assessment of Biden as a senile mental delinquent who is no longer capable of remembering simple facts, let alone running a country, uh, was met with some sort of phrase. It was like egregious or something along those lines. I'm, I'm afraid of the exact phraseology they used, but it was a word that is not commonplace within the American lexicon, especially when you're talking about corporate media that has to kowtow to some of the lower um, class of intelligences. And yet it was spreading like wildfire. You know, they have those clip montages put together. But the cowardice of corporate media to step up and say, this man has to be freed, this is what we believe in, shows you where we are as far as a country, as far as journalistic integrity goes. There is none. They are beholden to corporate and government masters. And if they're not willing to stand up against what is obviously uh, an assault on press freedom by a government, by world governments for that matter, then what good are these people? How are we supposed to trust them in any way, shape, or form to do anything, to report on anything accurately, if they will let one of their own simply be burned at the stake by government? It's, it's astounding. So I have high hopes that the extradition will be denied in the UK. I have high hopes that somehow this will lead to the freeing of Assange, but I don't even know at this point in time whether he's, you know, been so degraded by captivity. Um, whether he's going to come out and be even remotely the same person. And if so, is there a case where he can go and get some money from the government, sue them for, you know, in being in prison, being essentially a political prisoner for all these times? It's just disgusting to see. Well, let's, hey, Brian Brummett's watching. What's up, Brian? So 
let's go on to a different topic because I, unfortunately I'm doing this broadcast as I do. I record Tuesdays, live stream it Tuesdays, and then the podcast comes out Wednesday. So I'm doing this a little earlier today, trying to get these things out earlier in the day, but I, uh, I hope that things are changed by tomorrow. I hope by Wednesday, if you're listening to the audio podcast, we know a little bit more, but for now we'll move on because there's limited, uh, limited capability for me to know exactly how this is going to turn out. But one of the things I want to get into, which is just an exercise in, I guess, reality and fact-checking and, and how you can actually go about your world is, as most of you know, you know, my profession is public relations, it's communications. It's getting people to buy into an idea, right, is mostly what I do. Whether that's a product, whether that's a person, whether that's a service, it's getting people to buy an idea. And one of the things I'm seeing play out right now in a broader context of philosophy versus reality is in the libertarian world, right? I'm working as comms director with the Libertarian Party nationally. And one of the things that we're working on is this merger of Yes, we are the party of principle, right? You want to have a philosophical base that is consistent and and principled and should not bend, except the fact that you can't you can't convince everyday people to adopt a philosophy in with an unbending, unyielding, iron-like uh, grip on it when they're being presented with things in reality that that philosophy will not fix in the current situation. Now, what we're seeing right now is with the border issue. And I talked about this previously, but I want to talk about it a little bit more because we're seeing some of the people in the movement, some prominent podcasters, I'm not going to call them out by name, but podcasters and people that are that are active, basically getting at each other's throats over this issue of immigration and, and how that is exercised in our philosophy. But here's the thing, right? Whether or not you believe that it is a person's individual right that cannot be denied to have free you know, tree transport, free ability to walk where they go, go where they are, and nobody should infringe on that. When you look at the current state of affairs in a country like the United States, where the, we have borders, we have a massive infrastructure built out here. We have a tax system. We have people being forced to pay taxes in order to support a welfare system. You have people coming in that are coming in uh, against the current laws that are on the books in our country that are taking advantage of the system that are completely overstretching and undermining systems that have been put into place here to the point where you've got, you know, literally, as I mentioned before, you've got homeless uh, immigrants that are being forced to shelter in elementary school gyms. You've got, you know, centers that are being shut down across the country, uh, libraries shut down across the country because of homeless populations being in them. You're seeing a real world crisis play out. And at the same time we're seeing this, you have a lot of people within the movement saying, well, philosophically, I will not bend. But you have to understand that, okay, you can not bend philosophically, but you're not going to convert anybody. And you have to kind of like the way I think about love, we're getting real, real, uh, real Valentine's Day. <laughs> but the way I think about love, guys, came about because I went on a walk with my father and we used to walk the dogs in the snow. And I asked my dad one day, said, hey, dad, you know, the snow's falling down. It's a beautiful scene. I asked my dad, I said, hey, how did you know you wanted to marry mom? And trust me, this is going somewhere. This isn't just a, a mystery memory lane. Said, look, how did you know you wanted to marry mom? And dead straight just goes, well, you know, your mom was pretty hot and she was really putting the screws to me to get married. She was pretty religious. So I thought to myself, am I going to do any better? Probably not. So I married her. That was the, the absolute romantic story <laughs> that my father told to me when walking the dogs one December night. 
But I thought about it and I was like, you know, it's, I mean, it's actually a hundred percent accurate love in my definition, at least is when your dreams, right. We've all got these dreams of the perfect person and the perfect partner. And you know, these things created by rom-coms and God knows else what that's in our, our cultural memory, but you've got the dream of the perfect person that you're going to end up with. And then you've got reality. And that reality is that that person is never going to exist, does not exist. Now, I've got lucky. My wife is amazing. You know, I, I probably got as close as you can possibly get. But there is no definite reality wherein that perfect person exists, just like there is no reality wherein a philosophy of libertarianism, a philosophy of non-aggression plays out perfectly in reality and can actually be tangibly put into place. It doesn't exist and it never will. You have to marry your philosophy, your beauty, your, your beautiful reality you want to be with the reality you currently live within. That can make people understand it. That can bring people to love the what you're pitching. They can find love in that reality. But if you're not willing to bend, it is impossible. You will die alone. And this is why so many libertarians are single. But we're seeing that play out with these, these border issues. We're seeing this play out with the philosophy where, you know, people are unwilling to bend and can't, ex can't acknowledge that a system right now is collapsing in on itself. And this system has been propped up for decades by this massive amount of welfare spending about the entire incentivized system to have people come into the country and have the handouts, have the benefits, have a housing, have credit cards, have money. But this is an assault on the people paying for the taxes. This is a, an aggression. And if you believe in property rights, if you believe in people's ability to live their lives freely and, and have their own property and be able to, to uh, live successfully and raise their children, you have to acknowledge that they lived in a system wherein their taxes were taken to go and fund something, right? And this was against their will, but that's the way it is. That's our reality that we live in right now. And their property has a value, which they have put into it. They've built it. Their community has taken part in it. Their work has gone towards it. They raised their children to be good people and take part in this community to foster a culture and a property value that draws from all of these things. If you are completely content with an open assault by virtue of mass immigration on people's property, on their, their property values there, on what's been stolen from them taxation wise to build out a community, to build out, you know, what are the, the elementary schools and the community centers and the roads and the sidewalks, which are being overrun and overtaken by illegal immigrants without their say so, without their input, which are damaging their property, damaging the community that they built out again by this forced taxation. But it's not right to say that this is perfectly permissible. It's similar to how to be looking at like homesteading. If you built a land, if you take a piece of land and you do something with it and you built that property up, okay, now you have that property. You have, you have equity in that property. These people have no equity that are coming in. They have no claim to this land and yet they are taking over what has been created. They are blocking the sidewalks. They're taking over the gyms. They are depriving the people from all these people that put all this time and money and taxation and all this other things and all this hard labor in by virtue of government or individual effort, that's now being overtaken, undermined and destroying what they've built. And if you can't understand that your philosophical bent has to merge with that reality in order to communicate to people how we can get out of this, aka by curtailing the welfare state first, by curtailing the incentivized structure, or by freeing people from having to pay into these, you know, these onuses that they have for as you know, all these public goods that the people are now overtaking and destroying. 
if you eliminate that first, well, then maybe you could have open borders. Maybe then you could have free immigration because you're not foisting the uh, the costs of it on everyone else that's already put in. You're not aggressing on their property. You're not aggressing on their ability to succeed. You're not imposing your living on top of their, I mean, that's, a, that's the thing that bugs me so often, you know, times, even with the trans argument, your rights cannot be superseded by someone else's. And that's literally what's happening with this border situation currently. And to argue anything to the opposite of that is ignoring the reality in front of your face. And it's not going to win you any, any converts. It's not going to win you anything but a debate within the context of libertarian philosophy, which I'm sorry is not successful. This is why I've said, you know, my goal, honestly, when I do this podcast, my goal with the, with the party in some extent is to get people that aren't so die hard when it comes to these things. Because frankly, a lot of the time you're not that useful. We need people who are going to agree with the broader context of what we need to achieve, see the broader problems in the society that have to be amended and fixed to take back our liberty, to take back the freedom of speech, to take back the freedom to spend your money where you want to spend it without an ever-increasing threat of government, taxation, uh, robbing by fiat, by increasing the debt, by bringing us into war situations and everything else. You have to understand, we need people that believe in these things and don't want to bog us down by increasingly saying, well, despite the massive problem we have right in front of our faces, which is evident to everybody, we just have to keep letting it happen because philosophically, that's the right thing to do. Guys, your philosophy has to meet reality and you can get to the philosophical point at some point in the future, but you have to address the problems of the reality in the current situation. You have to break down brick by brick. You have to take that down before you can start to construct anything new. And that's just the fucking facts. All right. Lost a lot of euros on that rant. Don't give a shit. All right. Um, moving on. This kind of comes into play when we're talking about this whole situation with immigrants coming in, how I've talked about the Democratic bent on making sure that these people are included in the electoral process, essentially uh, naturalizing them so that they become good Democratic voters and how that does play out cyclically for at least a couple of generations where they will vote Democrat. And because as I love to reference, because Democrats uh, the next generation of female Democrats don't want to have kids, <laughs> don't, not interested. They need to find votes somewhere. So San Francisco, <laughs> bastion of fantastic progressive ideas. San Francisco has just in introduced its first non-citizen to serve on the elections commission. And uh, this woman is, let's see, the newest member, Kelly Wong, an immigrant rights advocate. Shocking to hear that is believed to be the first non-citizen believed to be, I guess somebody could have faked it, appointed to the commission. Of course, she is, uh, she is a, I think a fluent Mandarin speaker. She is from Hong Kong and she has come in here and said, basically everything you would expect a uber woke leftist to say, she is the perfect choice for the, the woke city of San Francisco. Um, because of course, one of the things that she prioritized in her speech when she came in was that we need to have election materials that are more accessible and understandable to uh, immigrants because, and I am not making this up, she cited specifically that there's no word in Mandarin for reparations. <laughs> so, you know, there, that tells you where her mind's at. 
But in a broader sense, you know, this, it's not surprising to see this. We've known for a long time when you talk about the voting process, right? And this is why our democracy is, I got in an argument with a buddy of mine about how I, I do not support broader democracy. I believe it's tyranny uh, by the majority, right? And, and the less restrictions you have against a tyrannic majority, aka our um, electoral college, absolutely necessary, absolutely must be there. If anybody doesn't agree with that, they are essentially just voting for a tyranny by the majority. One of the worst outcomes where 51% of the population can decide that the other 49% just gets tossed in a, in a river of lava, and that's that's the way it is. But you're seeing an erosion of conditions that have to be met in order to vote. No more government IDs, you know, no more ID, no identification at voting centers. Ridiculous. Why not? You need an ID for all these other things. Now, should you have a government mandated ID? This, again, this is libertarian philosophy versus reality. No, no, you shouldn't. You shouldn't have to have an ID to, to purchase a gun. You shouldn't have to have a license to drive a car. But if we're in a situation wherein voting is deciding where we're going as a nation, what policies are put into play, what freedoms I'm allowed to have or not, despite the fact that my freedom is God given and not provided to me by any fucking government, we have to be worried about an erosion of who gets to vote. Just as I'm saying with this immigration issue, the people who have paid in and spent time working within a system, uh, justified or, or fair or not, that system, those people have to have a greater interest and a greater say than somebody who has just come in with zero interest paid into that system and the erosion of again the the removal of barriers into the voting process aka disallowing people from having to ask for licensing for voting is a problem then it is a problem if your your right to have a say in what's happening in your community is being removed and and essentially given the exact same weight to somebody else who has zero history community, uh, infrastructure made into that community, it ain't right. So it's not surprising to see though, San Francisco now going down this path of let's have a non-citizen election commission committee. Now there's no fundamentally sound reason for this. None. Other than to say, we want to open this up. We want to make sure that we make a stance here politically that non-citizens should be able to vote in all of our elections here. Now, there is a deeper conversation about whether you know citizenry uh, and and what the conditions for voting would be, right? If you are in a community, should you have a right to vote in that community? If you come on you know unannounced and and have no say, well, again, I that's a con that's a condition that should be decided by local communities on a community by community basis. This is why I believe in the decentralization of power. I believe in local government more than anything else. And yeah, if they want to have in San Francisco non citizens vote in their elections. If they have some conditions you met, fine. But for now, this is a pure political play because translating voting, voting documents is not a reason to have somebody on an electoral commission. But I'll tell you what is very interesting is later on, she's talking about priorities that she has. For example, she wants to have a way to do voter outreach that's not just translation, but can provide and touch on political education while maintaining neutrality and impartiality in elections. Those two things do not jive together. They cannot jive together. Political education while maintaining neutrality and impartiality, that's not a thing. 
if you are trying to politically educate somebody, it is always going to be partial. You can see the way even in any of the materials that are that are mailed out by any candidate can try to be as impartial as you want. But if you're a government and you're trying to explain the benefits or the definition of reparations, you, by virtue of having that on there, are going to be impacting people. You are going to be biased and there's no way around it. So this immigrants rights advocate who's down the electrician, uh, electrician, the electoral committee without a doubt is going to have a, a very heavy bias in what she does and what she's advocating for and how they go about removing barriers and restrictions to um, what voting standards they have. It's just par for the course. It's just par for the course. And it's, you know, it's one of those things where it seems like it should be common sense that we have to operate, you know, that, that they're that we have to look at the reality of checks and balances that are put into place here. Um, and can't just say, tear it all down, tear it on the, you know, philosophically remove all these things and just shove in a new system because people are scared of that. Number one. Um, and number two, the outcomes should that happen because of the weight, because of the, um, the, the, I'd say accelerator accelerating threats of socialism of, um, you know, government expansion of authoritarian control. These things present clear and present dangers where if we right now just say, well, erode the entire system, um, you know, remove all barriers to entry, let these people in, you're going to usher in the opposite of what you're going for. Because the immediate reaction to that from the everyday population is going to be, holy shit, we're in, at war. <laughs> you know, there's people already calling the immigration issue a a, a war and assault and, and invasion. Um, same thing similarly on a community level. If you remove all the barriers for non-citizens taking part in community matters and just drop it immediately and, and let's say this philosophically what libertarians would want. If that happens, um, you're going to have people view it as essentially like a war and they're going to call for authoritarianism. They're going to call for the exact opposite of what we would advocate for. They're going to call for more government control. They're going to call for more authoritarianism. If they were, you know, they're going to call for an immediate uh, deployment of, of the military on all the borders. They're going to call for an immediate rounding up and, and immediate deportation and, you know, fencing like the old days wherein um, they fenced in all the Japanese. That's the more likely outcome. If you are stealing your, you know, taking your steely ideology and insisting that that be put into place, it's not going to end like you think it's going to end uh you have to meet people where they're at and you have to convince them to try something different and it's got to be in a way that's not going to completely <laughs> rebound on you okay so um let's go and finish up here with a couple more topics i wanted to share this video I've called this, I'm sure you guys have seen it by now, but it's just too, too funny and too ridiculous. This is the New York police department. And instead of say, you know, helping people with community uh, events and trying to cut down on violence of gangs or, you know, maintain any sort of, uh, of friendly community relations, they've decided to embarrass themselves by creating the New York Police Department dance team, which, by the way, looks to be all women to me. I'm sad there's not some sort of a trans man that snuck his way in there. But let me just play this video. I'm not going to play the music. Hopefully, YouTube doesn't ding me and, and uh, screw me in some way, shape or form here. But look at this. The number one, 
I don't know how long the New York City Police Department has to practice their routines, but these people fucking suck. Like, none of these people are even as good at dancing as I am, and I am a 44-year-old white man with a bum knee. I 100% dance circles around all these people. This one chick just doesn't even... <laughs> oh, wait, has been signed. <laughs> I mean, legitimately... These are women of all different colors. I frankly expected more from some of the women of color here. I mean, come on. There's at least one young black chick here. You're telling me, they finally put her in the middle. You're telling me you can't do a little bit more fanciful moves here. How about some kid and play, jump through your knees, something. No, just another embarrassment, similar to the nurses dancing on TikTok during COVID. And I don't know, the only way I can describe this, flop and frisk. That should be their, that should be their phrase. Instead of actually stopping people to frisk them on the streets as they've done, and uh, you know, unconstitutionally, I would argue, instead of stopping and frisking people, they should just start freaking them on the street. You know, it's like uh, like the dance off back in the day when they had what was that like step up? Was that the one where they had dance offs all the time? Step up to the streets. Instead of frisking people, you challenge them to dance off. Whoever loses, you know, you flop your titties around. That's the flop and frisk. They've got to turn over their drugs or guns. And if the cops lose, they have to turn over their drugs and guns because I guarantee a lot of those cops have just as many drugs on them as the perps that they're chasing. And frankly, they probably know how to use their guns a lot less accurately, especially when acorns might be falling around in the general vicinity. Just wow. I mean, it's there's cringe. There's levels of cringe. And then there's holy fuck. What are you doing? Levels of cringe. Like what did the police commissioner? They had to have signed off on this, right? The, the dance team, they had to have signed off on these people doing this and then going on television to broadcast it, to show the world how inept you are. <laughs> basic and basic physicality and basic physical moves. <laughs> and these people are, are walking around with guns and have the power of life and death. Really, literally any at any moment in time, these flopping friskies from the New York Police Department dance team have the power of life and death. That's, that's mind boggling. That's, that's a, a special thing. All right, guys, to finish it up today, uh, one more thing I just want to talk about. Rico and I got into a little bit on uh, the last show, which was the, uh, the topic of Trump and this fraud verdict. I just wanted to talk a little bit about it in case you guys didn't catch me anymore's last time. I, I, I couldn't be more disgusted with what's going on with the justice system in regards to Donald Trump. I'm not a fan of Donald Trump. Uh, I came to to hate him more and more as his presidency went on, despite the fact that I acknowledge, you know, of course, what was going against him, the deep state actions, which have been exposed more and more. Of course, Michael Schellenberger and uh, Matt Tiabi had put out reporting about the essentially the truth behind the reports of, that spurred Russiagate, right, that all of these intelligence operatives essentially cooked the reports to make it seem as though Putin was supporting Donald Trump. And that was used as the narrative to justify the investigation that somehow Putin and Trump were in cahoots, right? That whole narrative that Putin owns Donald Trump, which Nancy Pelosi, by the way, just yesterday went on Jen Psaki's show and just spouted more horse shit saying that Psaki's like, well, what do you think? Does Putin have something on Donald Trump? And she's like, well, Trump's a Putin fanboy, And I think that I think that Putin's got something financially on him. And that's why he's you know, encouraging him to invade NATO countries. Just ridiculous shit. Ridiculous. Defamatory, some would say despite the fact that Donald Trump had uh, yeah, much more defamatory than, say, defending yourself against assault allegations. 
which apparently can cost you $87 million defending yourself. But everything that's been going on there, you know, the revelations that they cooked the books to make it look like Putin supported Donald Trump, which he didn't. He supported Hillary because he said he was she was much more, I guess, a died in the wool politician that they could work with. And Donald Trump was this wild card, which makes perfect sense. But we're seeing the complete erosion of our justice system, or I should say, maybe not the erosion, the laid bare the flaws within the justice system, especially when it comes to fraud trials like this, when it comes to civil trials. I mean, the fact that Donald Trump is being made to pay something close to $400 million, I think it was like the final was like $387 million plus interest. So it's going to be over $400 million to New York City, right? To New York or to New York State. He has to pay $400 million to the government, despite the fact that there were zero damages, right? He paid back loans, bank loans that the banks voluntarily entered into, right? Nobody forced these banks to do it at gunpoint. Donald Trump doesn't have some sort of blackmail going. He didn't rig the buildings with dynamite, like in the end of Fight Club. No, he went to banks as a businessman that had a long track record of getting loans, developing projects, and then fulfilling those loans. The bank said, yep. We'll do these loans, right? Here's the here's what you value your assets as. They're saying, you're saying, that, well, you inflated the assets on the loans that you paid back, by the way. Didn't miss a payment, paid all the loans back. There's zero damages to anybody involved here. And the government decides to come in and force you to pay something close to $400 million, including interest, you know, $450 million for something which is number one subjective. The value of assets is ever-changing and subjective. And also, when you apply for a loan, every single person on the planet, if you've ever applied for a loan, you inflate the value of your assets to try to get a better deal on the loan. The more assets you have, the better a deal you can have, the better interest rate, the better terms you get into. And again, it's subjective. When I have my home valued, right? I just had home, uh, home, uh, I almost said reparations. (laughs) There's no word for my home reparations in Mandarin. I want you guys to know that. I just had my home remodeled, which is going to increase the property values. Now, the question is whether or not I should accept the assessment that's going to be handed down by the government, or I should try to get a different assessment on that. Because guess what? If I go to three different people and hire them to give me an assessment of my property's value, I'm going to get three different uh, assessments. That's the way the game is played. So for the government to say, you overvalue this, that's the way we feel about it. Fuck you, pay me, is a completely political act. It is disgusting to see how it's been playing out. And the fact that Donald Trump is a presidential candidate is just makes it more blatantly obvious. I mean, if they could take down one of the most well-known political figures, one of the most well-known real estate developers in the world with what is complete nonsense, complete nonsense, then what chance do the rest of us have? What chance does a political candidate that's not a super progressive have in New York. And by the way, you're telling me there's not a million other people that they could go after in New York that do the exact same thing at any time? Of course they can. Justice is subjective. Where it points its lens, it's like the eye of Sauron, is subjective. And obviously, as you know from the book, Three Felonies a Day, which now is probably up to 18 felonies a day, we all are committing any felony at any point in time. We don't even know about it. Or maybe we do, but the government, we say, well, you know, they're, they're busy. 
Well, they're only busy until you're a threat to the government and a threat to the powers that be. When the establishment feels threatened, well, guess what? Now they can come after you for any number of things. And you're seeing that play out in our justice system. Doesn't seem like it's going to matter much, right? But we'll see. The thing is, guys, we have to attack the reality where it's at. So let's not pretend that we have a justice system that's functional. Let's not pretend that we can tomorrow insist on uh, private arbitrators and that's going to fix everything because it ain't going to happen. So let's address it where it's at today and try to make some progress. All right, guys, hope you like the new music in the intro. I did. I, I, I'm trying to find the, the intro that really jazzes me up, gets my, gets my boner running. But maybe I found it. All right. If you like this show, if you like me personally, send me a box of your pubes. No, uh, go to patreon.com forward slash lions of liberty or lions of liberty.locals.com. Also, I will be at the LA or sorry, the California Libertarian Convention doing some stand up comedy with Adam Nutter. That's this Friday, guys. This Friday, I'm sure you can grab a ticket. Come on out, see me, hang out. I'm going to be spending the night there getting hammered. So come out. We can argue about philosophy versus reality, or you can come up and give me a big hug and tell me that I'm the best guy in the world. I'll take both ways. If you want to support us financially, that'd be great. We're trying to do more things, grow the show, et cetera. Again, Patreon or go to that locals uh, or just subscribe. That's great too. share the show. Tell a friend that means a lot. Excellent. Andrew, I look forward to seeing you at the Michigan convention, my friend. All right, guys. Thanks for Brian. Brian McWilliams from the Lions of Liberty and from me and age daydream. Keep those electric eyes on me, babe, and keep that ray gun to my head. I'm going to find my outro. There it is. Bye.